If you have your Bible with you, please open to Psalm chapter 42, Psalm 42. I am preaching this week and next week a short psalm series, uh, this week beginning with Psalm 42, and next week most likely looking at Psalm 100 that Otto actually led at the beginning of the service from. And this will also be a bit of a, a launching for later this fall that we will have an opportunity in which all different elders are going to be giving devotions from the Psalms that will be videoed and uploaded for you to watch each week uh, and podcasted uh, as the elders just share with us uh, what God is doing in their own hearts through the Psalms. Um, So let's go ahead and get started. Would you please stand with me? For uh, out of respect for the authority of God himself as revealed to us through his scriptures. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a, a prayer to the God of my life. But I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bone, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, Lord of creation, We humbly submit ourselves to you this morning. Quicken our hearts to receive your word by the power of your spirit. And hearing this word, may our hearts grow in greater affection for your son, Jesus, in whose name we proclaim and preach and pray. Amen. may be seated. (laughs) 
Have you ever been thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. I remember one summer when I was doing uh, archaeological training in Israel, and we spent a day training on the top of Masada. If you've been there, you know exactly what I mean by Masada. Masada is in the middle of the desert, just west of the Dead Sea. And it's this kind of massive rock plateau that juts out in the wilderness of the Judean wilderness. It was a home uh, to a fortress that King Herod built, the very King Herod that pursued Jesus when he was an infant. Only King Herod never visited this fortress during the time of the year that I was there. I pointed that out to one of our archaeologists, and he just kind of looked at me. (laughs) He didn't think it was very funny. (laughs) That day that I was there working was 114 degrees. It was 114 degrees while our group examined rock walls. You're probably thinking, I wouldn't examine the rock walls if it was 70 degrees, Michael. (laughs) It was 114 degrees while we studied and learned how to identify these various Roman artifacts. It was still 114 degrees. Maybe it was 116 by then. It was 114 when we stood in the sun and and listened to lectures for what seemed like for hours. And, And we're kind of against these rock walls and like clinging against them, trying to catch just a little bit of shade on our backs. Do you feel sorry yet for me? <laughs> you should, right? You should actually feel more sorry for Aaron because Aaron chose to come along for this journey with a one-year-old in tow because it was her only chance to see Masada. And, you know, she kind of goes around Masada, sees it, and then is like hiding in the corner the rest of the time for hours, wondering if her husband's ever going to get off this mountaintop. Probably thinking, why did my husband choose this path in life? <laughs> The worst part was we were, we were warned to bring as much water as possible up on top because we were going to spend more than a half a day on top here. And, and so I'm thinking, kind of sliding into this like obsessive compulsive, every time I take a sip of water, my, I see the water level kind of drop in my water bottle and, and my thirsty, like anxious levels just start rising higher and higher. I did tell you 114, right? Just just to be clear. On top of Masada, there was not a drop of water to be found. In some ways, this is the picture and the feel of how Psalm 42 opens up. Look at verse 1. As a deer pants or longs or craves... As a deer craves for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. See, this is not, uh, contrary to the 1980s song, this is not a peaceful deer just kind of frolicking through the meadows, looking for a creek to, to lay down and nestle up by. Like a, I don't know, like a Thomas Kincaid painting or something. This deer, rather, is 
stumbling through the Judean wilderness, step by step, just barely making it, desperately searching for water. And there's, there's nowhere to find water. And the deer is parched. And the deer's been coming miles across the wilderness, trying to find something to satisfy it before it just collapses in the wilderness. And sometimes you see that while, while you're driving through the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, a dead animal that, that never made it to water. The opening of Psalm 42 is very grave. With, with this image, the psalmist it invites us in to, to feel what the psalmist feels and to identify with him in his own struggle. So in verses 1 and 2, the, the psalmist says that like the deer, he longs for the life-giving waters of God himself. And again, this is, this is not spoken uh, like something like, you know, isn't it just wonderful how much I desire God? I desire God, Lord. I just desire you. That's not Psalm 42 here. Rather, the, the psalmist, just like the deer, is barely able to get the words out of his mouth because he's so tired. He's so discouraged and, and so weary and just broken down. And, and he's longing, just just longing for something. He's in a drought and, and can find no spiritual water to sustain him. When he, when he tries to encounter God, he's left unsatisfied, just parched. And he's really desperate to change this. Look at verse 3. My tears... <clears throat> My tears have been my food day and night. He's weeping. He's in, his tears are running down his face. This, this language is borrowed from famine language in the ancient Near East. I know some of you think I'm obsessed with famine. Uh, in the ancient Near East, when, whenever someone was desperate to eat and drink anything, they, they would often say things like, their own tears have become their food because they're starving. The psalmist then is starving and emaciated. Only here, not from a lack of food like in famine, but rather from despair, from a lack of seeing God at work from tiredness of, of whatever situation he's in, just feels like it's just never going to end. It just goes on and on and on. Grief just hangs over his head. Grief uh, of, of all that he's lost. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He, he remembers how he, how he used to go to worship and join in the fellowship of singing. For some reason, he's, he's lost those days. They're gone. You know, don't, 
Don't underestimate how, how much grief we all have walked through in just the last five months. Don't underestimate this, this grief of, of kind of bearing the loss of the normalcy of weekly worship that we were used to and the normalcy of the patterns of our lives. You know, online worship, anybody can tell you sitting at home right now, is not the same, is it? And in-person worship right now, even particularly for your first time that you come, can feel deeply disorienting. There's, there's a real grief that's, that's upon us, just like the psalmist. But there, there's still plenty more, though, that affects the psalmist here. If we go on, again in verse 3, and then down in verse 10, He's haunted by this question that that people ask him. This question, where is your God? Where's your God right now? Oh, Christian? And no answer is given, is there in the text? No answer is given. In verse 7, he feels as if God is actually against him. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He's, you know, at the beginning of the psalm, he was desperate for water. Now he's drowning. Now he's drowning from the water. In verse 8 and verse 9 then, he, he briefly remembers God's devotion for just this kind of brief glimpse he has of God's steadfast love toward him. And yet in verse 9, this this just quickly evaporates and is gone. As he cries out in verse 9, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? His struggle then is captured best in the refrain that appears two times in verse 5 and in verse 11, this refrain that kind of holds the whole psalm together. Look at verse 5, the beginning of it. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? His soul is cast down and, and restless. He's restless. The, the language of of cast down here, or the downcast soul in some translations. This, this simply means weary. This is the weary soul. His soul is weary and restless by all that he's been experiencing. Doesn't that pretty much kind of capture many of us over the last five months? Just a a weariness, a weariness as we've walked through this. We've spent five months now, now just kind of torn apart from one another in different ways. There's two services while a large percentage are at home watching. Like the psalmist in verse four, I don't know about you, but I'm, I have felt just waves of sadness over that. 
And if that's not enough, many of us are, are weary from, from the debates in our culture and our families around us over masks or no masks and restrictions or no restrictions or, or this is a hoax or this is serious and all these debates. You know, this all kind of hit me, the full wariness of it, particularly in the oddest moment when we were on vacation and I walked into a Dairy Queen of all places to get uh, my wife, trying to be a good husband, getting my wife this ice cream that she likes. And I, I walk into Dairy Queen and I, I, I don't know why, but suddenly it just all hit me as I, I go in and there's people lined up. They're all in masks and we're six feet apart and I'm kind of slowly moving up, not sure if I should move up, waiting to move up. I go up and I order my ice cream and and I, I'm trying to figure out how to pay because they have these like big plastic sheets around and I kind of get my credit card up underneath and hand it to them and get it back and pulling it back, you know, and, and then I get the receipt and I'm kind of walking back and people are kind of like, stay away from me and over here I'm moving this way and I'm against the wall and I just suddenly felt this like wave of like, what has happened to our world? I just want to get ice cream. <laughs> This wariness has come upon us. And, and, and often lost in all of this is how COVID-19 is squeezing many of us during times when we already have a lot of things that we're burdened down by. You know, it's not like COVID-19 came along and, and we just kind of set aside all those other burdens. We're like, well, we're not going to worry about those burdens now, now that we have COVID-19. Rather, it was more like just this thing that just came and just started squeezing all those other burdens that we're carrying. Things like, like grief from, from loss or illnesses that we're fighting or relationships that are hurt, loneliness, marriages that are, that are tender right now and difficult employment or all these cultural and political concerns that are just weighing upon us. Perhaps children to raise. Never mind the stress of figuring out schooling right now. There's, what's happened is we've waken up and found that there's just so little margin left for us as a people. At least me. <laughs> the psalm is the cry of the weary disciple. The weary disciple. And, and the psalmist invites each of us into this to, to identify with him. As I meditated on this psalm this week, here, here's some words that just kept coming to my mind watching this psalmist kind of work through his own weariness. Words like weary and sad, grief, restless, longing, Confused, darkness, unsatisfied, dry, thirsty, frustration, isolated. You know, if, if you can't identify with one of those right now, I bet that you know someone who can identify with that right now. So, so what are we to do with all this? How, how does the psalmist work through this? These, these experiences and the emotions can become crushing and, and even kind of alienating. 
We can see in the psalm how the weary soul could just spiral down into kind of just this blackness. Let me just take a step out of the text for a minute, thinking about this. One thing that, that guards you from descending to the bottom of the downcast soul, the what I'm calling here the weary soul, is your connection to the church. See, God protects the weary soul through the church, through the life-giving blood of the body of Jesus. So I just encourage you to, to make the church the center of your community where the, where the main artery runs through your life. Because the natural pull, the natural pull of the weary or downcast soul is to pull away from the church. Then a vicious cycle begins at that point. And how true is this danger right now in this very season of weariness that we're walking through? See, Satan wants the soul that that is wearied. He wants the soul that is wearied to stay as far away from the community of the people of God as possible. So find a way to remain connected to the church for your own protection from the weary soul. So, so back, back into the text. So, so assuming, assuming that, that we are putting Jesus' body in the right place in our lives, what, what are we to do then with these, with these crushing and wearying experiences like the psalmist? There's, let me suggest there's, there's two paths that we can take. And, and I've talked some on this before, but, it, but it's worth for us to hear this again. We can either lament to God or we can do its opposite. So the opposite of lament, if you remember, is not happiness. The opposite of lament is not happiness. Rather, the opposite of lament is grumbling. The opposite of lament is grumbling. As COVID-19 kind of squeezes us and, and all our other stressors are kind of build up, we are going to be tempted to become what C.S. Lewis called a grumbler. This, this person, he describes, with, with each grumble becomes less and less human. Grumbling is a, is a horizontal response to the weariness in our life. The grumbler brings her complaint to others before going to God. And, and the, the grumbler then kind of spreads his or her grumbles to those around them. And, and it begins to spread like gangrene, bringing death to parts of the body. And so behind the text of Psalm 42, back behind Psalm 42, is this kind of preliminary question that should haunt us. And that is simply this. Am I a grumbler? Am I a grumbler? Ask your spouse. 
Psalm 42, though, shows us a better path. Psalm 42 shows us a better way through this weariness. Whereas, whereas grumbling is horizontal, biblical lament, as we have here in Psalm 42, is always, always vertical. Biblical lament is vertical. Now, in saying that, the, the psalmist doesn't deny his struggles. He, he doesn't pretend that everything is okay, does he? So a biblical response to, to stressors like we're walking through right now is not to pretend like we're just kind of walking around singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. No, rather it is to direct our weariness to God first. Now, Sometimes this, this may mean that you need to direct it to a pastor or to an elder who, who's going to then help you direct your wariness to God. That, that's different from being a grumbler. Look at the text and remember that Psalm 42 is a prayer to God. Sometimes we forget that almost when we're reading the Psalms. This is a prayer, a prayer to God. The psalmist is actually talking to God. So verse 1, so, so pants my soul for you, O God, for you. Or, or down in verse 9, I say to God, my rock. He speaks these things to, to God. This, this should be a model for us. It, it shows us that, that Christians too get discouraged. Christians get Weary. Christians get frustrated. And, and the follower of Jesus brings all these emotions and turmoil right to the king himself. He brings them to the king. I believe that the best way to bring our weariness to God is by following the Psalms themselves. So when, when you are struck with weariness, when weariness comes upon your back and you're just weighed down this weariness and you're, you're cast down and, and you're discouraged and, and you're sad and you're just tired of everything, you may feel like you have nothing to pray. You're like the deer who, who just sees no water anywhere. That is when you have to pick this up you have to pick this up and open this up to the Psalms and go to the Psalms and open to Psalms like Psalm 42 and meditate on it or have a friend grab it and throw it in front of your face and go to it even when you don't feel like it, even when you're weary and can't pray and, and sit there before Psalm 42 and, and let, the, let the Spirit kind of just reach into your soul and, and bring out, just kind of pulling out this, this wariness that's within you. And then you speak these things to God the Father. And he's not shocked by anything you say. When, when I have lingered over prayers like Psalm 42, God does something. I don't even know how to describe it, but God does something. He shows up. 
He, he begins to change my own disposition away from grumbling as I begin to go vertical to God with this wariness. Now, expressing these things to God does not end the psalm. Rather, the refrain gives us the solution for the weary heart. And as I mentioned, this this refrain in verse 5 and 11 kind of just holds the whole psalm together. This psalm uh, would be very different if we didn't have this refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what's the, what's the psalmist's solution in this text when he's weary? Hope in God. The, the verb here, hope, here more naturally just means wait. Wait for God. Wait for God. And, and kind of by extension, this is why the ESV does this, by extension meaning hope. So when you're waiting, you're hoping in. But wait for God. This, this same word is used throughout the Old Testament for waiting on God in the midst of weariness and turmoil. So for example, Psalm 3815, a great psalm to, to have memorized. But for you, O Yahweh, do I wait It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. Or from the prophet uh, Micah, in Micah chapter 7, Micah 7 opens up with just this kind of horrid picture of, of how wrong the world is and how wary that Micah is in chapter 7. And, and he's just kind of mourning and seeing all that's wrong. And then in verse 7, At the end of this kind of stretched out picture, he says, but as for me, responding to all this weariness, he says, but as for me, I will look to Yahweh. I will wait. There's our word, same word. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me, he says. In our weariness. We direct our weary souls to God. We pour out our trouble before him. Then we wait. Like Psalm 130, which we sung at the very beginning of the service. We wait. See, waiting is a posture of humility. It is a posture of trust and hope. When we wait on God... We, we look to God to act and not to other things. You know, what if, what if God has, has providentially brought his church, brought his people into a season of waiting right now? Perhaps even a season of purging. Over the past five months, God has, has removed much from us, which has led to, to legitimate sadness and, and discouragement. We're all tired and, and weary. But many of us are discovering that, that we have been waiting on and hoping in other things besides God. 
We, we desperately, kind of like the deer, are, are just stumbling around trying to escape the weariness and the sadness. By, by turning, we try to do this by turning to a whole host of other things. Some of us have been waiting, waiting on the mask mandate to go away, believing that that will then bring joy again. Some of us have been waiting on the virus to go away. Others of us have, have been waiting on kind of normal worship services, hoping that, that, that whenever all these things that we're waiting on happen, life will then, then be good again. Or, or maybe we're waiting on the, the right uh, politician or, or political tribe to win. Yet, after five months, we, we're finding that for, for far too long, we have been waiting on, on all these things instead of God. You know, the psalmist doesn't look for his circumstances to, to simply change. He instead calls forth, wait on God. Wait on God to deliver and to rescue. We see from Psalm 42 that, that what we need right now what our church needs right now, what I need right now, is not for our lives to, to get back to normal as much as I want that. <laughs> what we need right now is God himself. That's what we need. This is what the psalmist hopes in. He, he says in verse 5 and verse 11, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Though he's weary and discouraged, he preaches to himself that waiting on God will be worth it. There there is hope in in this kind of future grace that God will deliver him from this darkness because he is the delivering God of Israel. And, And what's more, we can wait on God because we have one who who came before us and was wary and did wait on God, Jesus. In Mark chapter 14, verse 34, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to his disciples, and I quote, my soul is wary even to death. He quotes almost exactly from the Greek translation of Psalm 42 here. He is appealing to Psalm 42 in the garden of Gethsemane to his disciples. In the garden, he then did what the psalmist does. He followed the path of the psalmist and he poured out his lament to God the Father. But it didn't end there. Jesus then clothed himself in Psalm 42 with all the despair and and weariness of the world wrapped around him. And and after pouring out his lament, he went to wait on God on the cross. And he was crushed there, waiting on God so that you and I could wait on God and find God's victory, and salvation from all our weariness. Dear brothers and sisters, 
I know, I know that some of you are weary right now. I know that you're weary. You have many burdens that did not go away when COVID hit. And five months of COVID craziness has not helped. But hear the final word of Psalm 42 here. What is the final word? Somebody tell me, what is the final word spoken in this psalm? Say it louder. God. The final word of this psalm is God. That's not an accident. The weary disciples' prayer ends here with God. That that, that three-letter word, that ends this psalm, and with it, it just kind of reaches out and and grabs all the promises and all the character of God seen throughout the rich pages of Scripture, and it brings it right to a point here at the end of Psalm 42. Israel's God, Jesus' God, our God. And and to that great God, and, and all his promises and character, we're going to turn to next week with a psalm about the character of God. But until then, the wary disciple here follows the path of the psalmist and Jesus and waits on God. Because he knows God will show up. Let's pray. Father, we are a wary people. You have purged much from us. We pray and ask, O oh God, that you would hear our weariness and you would meet us where we are and that you would draw us forth, that your spirit would draw that weariness out of us so that we too could join with the psalmist and wait on you, the God of our salvation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who waited on our behalf on the cross so that we too could taste your victory in our lives in our weariness and over our sin. In whose name we pray these things, amen.